All right, grab your Bibles and, and turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Uh, Matthew chapter 6. Are you ready for God's Word? Uh, we're in a series of messages that I call Points of Passion. Uh, points of Passion. And, uh, and I'll be honest, I'm going to do a little bit of teaching today, so I may not get as rambunctious. So if you're one of those people that think I'm way loud all the time, and why does he have to be loud all the time? This could be your day. This could be your day that he's not loud. And I'm only loud because I believe it. I'm passionate about it. And that's just the way my passion comes out. You know, I, I may be wrong, but I'm never in doubt. And I'm passionate about what I'm passionate about, right? And so you, this is our joke when I'm in a meeting. I said, I may be dead wrong, but I'm never in doubt about it. Like, I will, I will tell you my opinion. Like, it is the truth, and it is verified, and, you know, it's... Anyways, um, but so that's just passion. But, but today I want to do some teaching, and, and we're, we're talking about points of passion. And here's what we're talking about just collectively. We're talking about stewarding our passion because we all have passion. We all have passion. Um, the, the question is, what do we aim the passion at? And we really get to choose where we aim our passion, Right, and we can aim our passion at the at the things of God, or we can have our passion aimed at, at other things. That other things can capture our eye, get our attention, those type of things. And so we just said, hey, as we enter in this year, we want to aim our passion at at the house of God, at the things of God. And we've talked about the Word of God. We've talked about a lot of things. Hopefully, you're tracking with us uh, in in the series. If not, it's on the apps on YouTube. Um, today, I'm in Matthew. Um, chapter six. Most of you would know this as part of the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount. Why is it called a Sermon on the Mount? Because Jesus gave a sermon on a mount. And um, <laughs> but Matthew five, six, and seven. It's kind of like people say all the time. Why is it called the upper room? Is there something significant? I was like, yes, because it was above the lower room. And so there are there are great things of significance, and sometimes it just is what it is, right? And so it's called the Sermon on the Mount because Jesus gives this sermon uh, on the mount. So Matthew five, six, and seven. There are five teaching discourses of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. This is the first and longest of those. Um, it's probably the most famous. Most people have heard of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Um, and he gives the sermon on the Mount of Beatitudes. The Mount of Beatitudes, which is on the northwestern shore of the Sea of Galilee between C Capernaum and Gesserit, or Gennesaret, however you say that. I could have said it right or wrong. But anyways, there it is. And that's where he was. In fact, there's a, a Roman Catholic church is actually built on the site now uh, where Jesus gave the Sermon uh, on the Mount. And he, he does a lot of teaching. In fact, he, he gives us the Beatitudes, if you will, ironically, from, from the Mount of Beatitudes. And so we're there in Matthew uh, 6, verse 5. Very familiar passage uh, today, but let's read it together. It says, and when you pray, this is Jesus, when you pray, uh, you don't be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. And assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut the door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who is in, in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions. One version says babblings. As the heathen, some versions say pagans or unbelievers, right? Don't use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think, very important, they think they will be heard by their many words. Verse 8, therefore, don't be like them. For your father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. 
So in this manner, therefore pray. And everybody knows the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed, not Howard. I've had kids quote it, Howard be his name. You know, what'd you learn today? I've learned God's name's Howard. It's right there in Matthew chapter six. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then he goes on, give us this day our daily bread, et cetera. I'm really going to focus on, on just our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. And so I want to talk about prayer. I really have a burden for this. And I know we're kind of ending our 21-day fast, um, but, I, but there's just a, such a burden. And I think that, that God put this message on this day because this was uh, one of the messages I started with. Um, and I just kept holding it and kept putting other things. And so I thought, how it's interesting that God wanted this message at the end of, of our 21 time. So can, can we pray? I, I call this message, by the way, the door swings both ways. The door swings both ways. So let's pray. Father, um, we just pray that, that in the next few moments that we would be able to focus on you and to be able to hear you past distractions and even past some of our thoughts and feelings and thinkings our ideas, but God, that we would just be able to hear the words that you want to speak to us today, those words of life, words of power, God, words that change and transform. It's not a religious gathering, God. It's, it's a place where we've come to meet with you. So, so let us not leave here without the confidence that we've met with you and that we've heard you. And so speak to us now, God. And my prayer is always that we would never be this. How could we be the same if we spent time with you and in your presence? Let us never be the same in Jesus name. And everybody said, amen. The door, the door swings both ways. Um, <clears throat> have you ever had, had one of those experiences where you thought the door swung both ways? Yeah, I've done that, you know, and, and you're just kind of moving really quickly and you assume that door is going to, and when you hit that door, it's going to, and then you hit the door and the door hits you. And you, and all of a sudden, for the first time, you, you get the revelation and you can identify with how a mosquito or a bug must feel when it hits your car windshield. And, and it was like that sudden stop could be painful, right? Um, but there are doors that, that do swing both ways, like kitchen, uh, kitchen doors and restaurants and those type of things. They swing out and they, and they swing in. And, and when I thought about that and I read this text, that's what I thought about in the text. I really thought in the text... I think Jesus is actually trying to tell us something. And he's trying to tell us, well, a lot of things. And we know Jesus tells us. That's kind of a dumb understatement of the year. That Jesus might have been trying to tell us something. It's not. <laughs> you think? Uh, so anyways, um, I'm pretty sure Jesus was trying to tell us something. Um, and I think one of the things that Jesus was trying to tell us is the door swings both ways. When you're talking about prayer, the door swings both ways. And I think the reason I want to talk about this today is because we're at the end of, of the fast. And when I was praying this morning uh, about our time today, and I was thinking, you know, God, it's, why don't we put this message? This should have been the first. Wouldn't this have been better like three weeks ago? Like, I don't, I'm not in charge of the schedule, God, but it seems to me. Um, and, and I felt like God said, I put it right where I wanted it. And then I felt this. I felt like God said, why don't you challenge everyone the way they prayed the last three weeks? to pray the next three weeks. You don't have to fast because I know you're all like planning your lunch right now. Like I'm having chocolate cake. Um, <laughs> we'll all be on sugar highs the rest of the week. <laughs> but, um, but, but here's why, here's why. Because I feel like, I feel like God wants to do, in fact, I know 
God wants to do more than we've seen. Now, how do I know that? Ephesians 3.20. He's able to do more than we can imagine. So God wants to do more than we've seen. But, but I'm going to say something, and then we're going to talk about it, because when I say it, you're going to push back on it, because you're going to think wrongly. God cannot do it if you don't pray. And so I feel like God wants to do things we've never seen, things I've never seen in our families, in our church, in our community. But it won't happen if we don't pray. It will, just listen to me, because it's like, it will not happen if we do not pray. I think it's one of the great fallacies of the church is we assume God's just going to do what he wants to do. It will not happen if we don't pray. This is, this is, I, I preach from a burden. I do better preaching when I'm preaching from a burden. Now, I can preach about anything because I'm a preacher. But when I have a burden, I do better. And when I have a burden, sometimes this is the way I feel. I just want to shake you and look you, not break you. <laughs> shake it, but don't break it, Lord. Praise the Lord. Um, I just want to look at you and say, it won't happen if you don't pray. And so I want to talk about it today. I just have two points, and that could scare you. It doesn't make the message shorter. Because <laughs> I'm committed to giving you the same amount of content. But I have two points because the door swings two ways. Both ways. Write this down, point number one. Um, the foundation in prayer is not how we ask, but who we access. The foundation, I want you to understand the foundation of prayer. Because think about what Jesus is contrasting two groups of people. 84% of the world claim to, to have some religious affiliation or association. 84%. I'm not saying they're Christians. They, they could be Buddhist. Uh, they could be Muslims. Um, but 84%, this is what I mean by that. Only 16% of the world say they have no spiritual or, or religious ties, connection, affiliation, or association. What that means is about 84% of the world probably have some sort of prayer life. Right? Some sort of prayer life. Like I, I remember Julie and I were on a flight one time um, and it was right after 9-11 and uh, we were headed um, to, uh, to, to England, um, to London actually, and, and uh, we were on a flight and, and because I'm a big boy, I always pay whatever I have to pay to get the extra row seats. There was a time you didn't have to pay for the extra row seats. There was also a time you got to take your suitcase for free. There was a time that when you flew, you kind of felt like it was, you know, a higher class experience. Now you kind of feel like Hereford cattle. But I'm not going to get into how I feel about that. But, uh, but I would always jockey and, and would get the, the exit row. And so we were on a big plane, the exit row, and this had a big exit row. And it was right, it's it one of those that goes over the ocean. So it was like a 777 um, Boeing. And, and so there was a galley here, and there was, you know, the, the first class people. That must be nice. And then there was the rest of us. <laughs> The peasants. And so we were, I was in the back with the peasants and, uh, but I had this, it was like, because there was a big door here and a galley here, it was like big, I mean, it's a big open space. And I was like, praise the Lord. And so I'm sleeping, which is not always easy for me to do on the airplane. So it was a pretty spiritual experience. <laughs> and all of a sudden, Julie hits me. 
And I'm like, you know, why troublest me thou? Why thou troublest me? I felt like Jesus on the boat. You understand what I'm saying? <laughs> and she pointed and there was a, a, a Muslim, Muslim gentleman who had put his mat out and was praying. Well, that doesn't normally alarm me unless it's right after 9-11. Well, then I went to praying. In a language that you know not of with groanings and sounds. When we don't know how to pray, the Spirit prays through us with sounds that can't be desert, you know, groanings. And, and so I went to, like, who stole a Honda? I took off. You understand what I'm saying? Um, and I also got ready because if I said, if he makes a wrong move, it's about to go WWE in here. You know what I'm saying? We're going smack down. I'm going to take him down. And then I had this thought. The more I watched him, I thought, isn't that interesting that he wouldn't even let being 42,000 feet in the air over an ocean stop him from his dedicated prayer time? And we're like, well, I just couldn't get up. <laughs> and he's praying to a God that doesn't exist. That's what hit me. I thought he is more dedicated to his God that doesn't exist maybe than I am to my God who does because I didn't even think about praying. I was thinking about sleeping. 84% of the world claim to be religious and probably pray, but here Jesus delineates between two groups of people being those who believe in, in Yahweh, in God, and those who don't. And he distinguishes even the methodology of prayer and even the approach of prayer. It's all distinguished here. And, and here's what he says. He says, this is how the pagans pray, but this is how I want you to pray. And he said this, I want you to pray our Father. It's an incredible and revolutionary concept to pray our Father. They never, what do you mean, God, our Father? It's God. No, I want you to pray to our Father. And Jesus starts building a foundation or a basis for prayer that's completely different because now it is not based on the babblings or words or performance of man, but prayer now is solely built upon a relationship with a Father. That, that we have access, he says, to, to a father. We have access. Prayer is access to God. Right? And, and we talked about the presence of God last week, but, and I said this and I want to say again. We access the presence of God through prayer, but we invite the presence of God through worship. Let me say it another way. Prayer is how we go there. Worship is how we bring him here. We are seated with God in heavenly places. Many times the reason that our prayers are not as effective is we're praying them from earth when the position of prayer is seated next to the Father. So prayer is how we go take our seat next to the Father. Are you with me? Worship is how we bring his, that's why Jehoshaphat worship. When we don't know what to do, God, we're just going to worship, right? That's why worship is warfare. Paul and Silas in the prison worship because worship brings God's prayer. That's why when, when I come in and we have this opportunity of worship, it's really, we don't do the music until y'all get here so I can talk. That's really not our plan. We do the music so we can invite God's presence 
into our situations because we need victory because some of us are in prisons and some of us are being come against by the enemy and we need to invite the presence of God so we can experience the victory of God. And praise is the expression of victory, right, before the performance of victory, right? It's the expression of victory before the experience of victory. And so that's why we, and so I, this is not my message, but it's really good. And so, so the idea, Jesus says, so here's the foundation of prayer, that prayer is a relationship. Prayer is built on a relationship that you have access, you have access, think about this, you have unhindered, unlimited access with the God of the universe through prayer. That we think about this. Hebrews four says, "Come boldly to the throne room of grace. Come boldly. There's access." Hebrews ten says, "We have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. We have access." Right? Uh, Ephesians two eighteen, for through Him Jesus, we both have access in one Spirit. Look at this, to the Father. We have access to the Father. What's the access we have? We have access to the Father through through prayer. Through prayer. I think the incredible thing about prayer is not even what it accomplishes, but who we get to spend time with. Amen. I think that may be more incredible if you think about it. Like what prayer accomplishes, we're gonna talk about that in a minute, but 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 the idea of who I get to spend time with. That the God of the universe who created everything I've ever known or seen or could imagine has invited me to hang out with him at my leisure as often and for as long and as many times whenever I would like to. That's incredible. I think that's the incredible thing about prayer. But here's, now let me back up. So, so here's, here's the challenge. Because it's amazing when he says, he says, our, our Father, our Father. That's incredible. But that's also a hurdle. Because not everybody had a good father. Now see, my, my father, was, he's, he, I, I'm, I'm sure he's not perfect. But he's real close. Um, he's just—he's just an incredible father. If you want to be adopted, he's available. He'll probably be in the eleven today. I'm serious. Now he has two biological children, but somewhere around eight thousand children, because he will just adopt children. Now you don't get any inheritance, but <laughs> just want to make that clear. Just kidding. But, but the truth of the matter is, I, I, because I have a great father, and, and to this day, if I need prayer, uh, if I want to talk about something, um, if, if I need anything, like a chainsaw, like I called him, I need a chainsaw. I don't have a chainsaw. Uh, Dad, I need a chainsaw. Yeah, just come get it. Um, and, and so it's easy for me to make the jump to our father because I had a present dad who was a good dad, who's a loving dad, who will give me anything to this day, anything he has if I ask it or, or if I need it, then, then I can have it. But for some, 
some of us, some people, you didn't have that experience. And so when you say our father, you're like, well, I don't, I don't know how to, the, the image I have of a father may not be good. He may be mean. He may be distant. He may be absent. He could be abusive. And, and the jump now we have to make because of the fallen world we're in is, is that how is, how is this father? Jesus, though, gives us some clarification that there are two fathers. John 8. And he says there's one father who's the devil. And then there's another father who is God. And they're completely opposite. Not in power, you understand. Remember what Jesus said when they came back and said, even the demons obey us in your name. Jesus said, yeah, I remember Satan falling like lightning to the earth. In other words, he had a rebellion that lasted almost a fifth of one second. Somebody's back there. Oh, fifth, one, okay, that'd be... Uh, Carry the one and then uh, less than a second. So, so he is not equal to him in power at all. But he, he, he tries, or in the fall of man, he became a surrogate father to the children of God. And, 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 and what Jesus says is he's the father of lies. And so he comes to tell you lies about you and a lot about God. And he started with Adam because essentially what he inferred is if God were really good, he would give you this tree too. And so a lot of us, when we fell, we came into this world really orphaned because we were apart from the father, separated by sin. And our surrogate father decided to raise us. And he decided to raise us and, and program us with lies about who we are, who we're not, who God is, and who God isn't. And so a lot of us, even having bad experience with fathers, then it's hard to imagine a good father. But let me give you the basis of theology. The basis of, of my theology. Base, Satan is bad. God is good. Okay, let me help you out. Everything bad is a gift from Satan. I'm going to show you this scripture. Everything good is a gift from God. And we have to understand that God, because here's the thing. You won't approach a father that you think is the source of your pain. And as long as the enemy can convince you to even question God's goodness or to think that he's the reason why you're going through what you're going through, then you're, you're not going to go to him. And he wins the prayer battle. Let me tell you what he's convinced of. He's convinced of how powerful prayer is. If he wasn't, why is it so hard to pray? Have you ever thought about that? You can get up in the morning and say, man, I'm going to pray. And then the alarm clock doesn't go off. The dog goes crazy. The kid's throwing up, you know, and, and before you know it, it's like, well, I miss prayer. If it's so, if, if, I always say this about church. If church isn't important, why is it so hard to get here? Why does he fight so hard to keep you from praying? Keep, because he knows the power of these. Are you with me? And he knows it. He knows that God is good. In fact, it said, our father who art in heaven, hallowed, hallowed, not Howard, hallowed be your name. 
Hallowed be your name. That word in the Greek in the New Testament is about used about 30 times. But only two times is it translated hallowed. And it's in Matthew 6 and Luke 11, which are the Lord's Prayer. 26 times, though, it's translated sanctified. The Hebrew equivalent is, is also typically translated hallowed, but, or I should say typically sanctified, but, but also you see it many times used as hallowed, and anytime it's used as hallowed, it is to delineate between hallowed and profane. Okay? Did, did you track with all that? So it's saying profane, that would be wickedness, and hallowed are mutually exclusive. Right? They're diametrically, they're opposite ends of the spectrum. They, they don't cohabitate. There's profane and there's hallowed, right? And what the word most of the time is translated in Greek and in Hebrew is sanctified, which means to set apart, set apart. So hallowed means set apart from. What is it set apart from? Evil. So Jesus is saying, our father is set apart from evil. In, in fact, the word actually um, means to, to, to be the opposite of and in no way can come in contact with evil. Let, let me, I just, Leviticus twenty two thirty two. just one example. You shall not profane my holy name, but I will be hallowed among the children of Israel for I'm the Lord who sanctifies. By the way, sanctifies and hallowed, same Hebrew word. But it's driving home the point that profane and hallowed this is God talking to Moses. This is the law, right? Are you with me? So God's saying there is profane and then there's what I am. And what I am, I'll make you. I will separate you from evil. Right? Here's why I want you to understand this. Because God's good. He can't even be touched with, let me show you the New Testament, James 1.13. Let no one say when he is tempted that I'm tempted by God, because God cannot be tempted by evil. God cannot be tempted by evil. By the way, that's one Greek word, cannot be tempted by evil. God cannot, nor does he himself tempt anyone, but each one is, now he explains this, each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed, and then when desires conceived, gives birth to sin, and when sin is full grown, it gives birth to death, right? If you let sin grow, it produces a harvest of death. Verse 16, don't be deceived. Now, James, what are you concerned we would be deceived about? What are you explaining to us? Don't be deceived, he says. My beloved brethren, look at this. Every good and perfect gift is from God. Every good and perfect gift is from God. Let me ask you, pause. Leave that up there. Pause. Is there anything good in your life? Is there anything at all? It came from one place. Because we're really good about giving God credit for the bad. Because Satan helps us. Oh, if God were good, you wouldn't be sick. If God were good, you wouldn't be laid off. If God were good, if God were good, if God were good, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, God were good, you wouldn't, would. And I just wonder sometimes, could you get up? Like I got up this morning and I felt good. And I said, God, you're good. I'm healthy today. I'm healthy. My kids are all sleeping in their rooms. They're sleeping soundly. They're healthy. They're happy. God, I got a new puppy. I'm happy. 
right? Milo, Milo the golden doodle. You'd have to go to my Instagram if you want to see a picture. But anyways, Milo the golden doodle, he's, a, he's an interesting guy. He's chill. He's a hair short of a coma right now, and, uh, which is my speed. But anyways, um, but, I, but I, just, I just thought, God, you're good. God, you're good. my bills are paid today. God, you're good. God, I get to go to your house and worship today. God, you're good. And I just started giving God credit for the good things I could see instead of the things I've yet to see. Every good and perfect gift comes from one place. I wonder how thankful you would be if you'd start a list of not what you don't have, but what's good in your life and give God credit for that. This is probably the best sermon I've ever preached in my life right here. If you would go get a journal this afternoon and think about the fact my kids will talk to me. My kids are healthy. I have a car that, that actually works. I have a house to sleep in. I have food in my cupboard, right? I have a job, right? Whatever it is. And gave God credit for everything good in your life. It probably transformed your prayer life. Anyways. So he says, every good and perfect gift comes from God and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow of turning. What is James? Don't be deceived. Here's what he's saying. That word cannot be tempted by evil is, is, is the same word cannot be touched by or in close proximity to bad or evil. Here's what he's saying. God cannot be touched by are in close proximity to. This is why Jesus came. Because we were, we were, we were dead in our sin. We were bad. Jesus came to cleanse us to make us good because God wanted to touch us and be in close proximity with us. Are you with me? So he says, God can't even be around evil. He's the opposite of evil. Are, are you with me? You, you, you got to catch this. The word variation, this is the only time it's used in the New Testament. That word in the Greek, it's the only time it's used in the entire New Testament, in the entire Greek New Testament. Are you with me? And it, and it means this, that there's no possibility that God could ever turn from being good. Do you see what James is saying? And by the way, when it says he's the father of light, some people say, well, he's the father of stars. Paul said in Philippians chapter two, that, that we are lights. Jesus said, we're the light of the world. So here's what he's saying. Your father can't even be close to, to evil and he can never turn away from being good. I'm saying every time you've thought God's not doing, withholding, doesn't care, doesn't see, doesn't know who I am, isn't concerned about my pain. All of those thoughts came from one father, but it's not God. He's the father of lies, but the father of lights is good and can never turn away from being good and can't even be close to what is evil. You made me preach. Now somebody's like, he got loud again. Ethel, get your purse. Getting out of here. Doesn't even wear a suit. Because you know how hot I would be in a suit up here jumping around? You wear a suit if you want to preach, but I can't do it. I sweat through them. I'm a big boy. High octane. Here's the point. You're not going to talk to a father that you think is bad. 
you got to let the Holy Spirit convince you that he's good. And once you know he's good and he's your father, you, you'll go. Did, did you ever think about this? God used to come and walk with Adam in the cool of the day in the garden. Who invented prayer? God. You know what I think? It's because he missed the walks with his kids in the garden. The incredible thing about prayer is who we get to spend time with. I think God invented prayer because he's like, I'd, I'd like to walk with you. I'd like to talk with you. I'd like to be around you. I'd, I'd like to know about what's going on with you. And I'd like you to tell me. I know I already know, but I'd like you to tell me. I know with my dad, sometimes he finds out something's going on with me through my brother or my mother or something like that, but he likes for me to tell him. Now he already knows, but he just likes to hear from me. See, the foundation of prayer, listen to me, it is relationship, not religion. The foundation of prayer is relationship. The basis of effective prayer is who you pray to, not what you ask for. The basis of effective prayer is who you pray to, not what you ask for. Are you with me? I think sometimes we look at prayer like a business relationship instead of a family relationship. And businesses are transactional. And families are relational. And that's what he's saying. These people think prayer, right? Remember, they think they're going to be heard because they're standing and they're babbling on and on and on and on. And they think if they get the right words. Here's one way you can know if your prayers are religious. You're worried about phrasing it the right way so God will move. Oh, I got you right there. I know I got you. Because you're sitting there thinking, now how could I pray this? And sometimes we use God's own word as though it's a headlock to make him do what we want him to do. Because if I can take him a word and, and tell him he is contractually bound. <laughs> instead of covenantly obligated. Well, God, you know what you said. So business is contractual, family's covenant. Right? And he's saying there's a religious way to pray and there's a relational way to pray. It's there's a what I have for you versus who I am to you. And so, so, so the crazy thing about prayer, the crazy thing about prayer is that the foundation is not how we ask, but who we access. Let me tell you the second thing. Second thing. I told you, it didn't make it any shorter. <laughs> not false advertising. Second thing is the function of prayer isn't just the access you gain, but the access you give. The door swings both ways. Our Father, it can swing, we can go right into His presence. But it's not, just, it's not just about the access that we gain in prayer. It's the access we give. Look at verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Where? On earth. On earth as it is heaven. I, I, there's a lot I want to say. So number one, prayer gives God access to your life. Prayer gives God access to your life. Think about that. God is respectful of your boundaries. He will not force himself into your life 
and take over and manipulate and control you. He will sit back. My dad doesn't just show, like I didn't walk out of the house out of my bedroom this morning and see my dad sitting on my sofa. I mean, I love my dad and it wouldn't really scared me, but it'd been kind of weird. Like, how'd you get here? You've been here all night? You know what I mean? Like, but yet, if I invite him, he'll come over today. But he won't come over unless I invite him or sometimes he'll call. Hey, we're going to come by. Okay. Do you see what I'm saying? And, and God isn't going to force himself in his life and do his will. And so prayer invites him to, to come into our life. Jesus said, your father knows what you have need of before you ask, but he's not implying you don't ask. James says, you have not because you ask not. You have not. And, and I, want, I just want to say this because I know how we pray. And sometimes we pray and tell God what he hasn't been doing. And what I want to say is, but did you ask him? So prayer gives God access to our lives. But, but look at this. Prayer gives God access through our lives. Through our lives. Um, God is not limited in power, but he will limit himself in principle. Did you hear what I said? So let me give you an example that we can build off of. God can do anything he wants to do. But he has restricted his movement on the earth to partnership with man. God told Adam, I want you to be fruitful, multiply, subdue, and take dominion. Okay, so essentially, that was your kingdom come, your will be done. That was the first picture. Adam, I want my kingdom, I want earth to reflect my, my reign and my rule and my kingdom. That's what he told Adam. But he said, you're going to do it. Now, God could have come and do, done it himself. But he created man, not just to hang out in the garden, be naked and eat fruit salad. He created man and pet the cheetahs. He created man to do something, which was his will that he wanted done, but he wanted man to do it, which was to make earth look like heaven. Your kingdom come, by the way, take dominion in the Hebrew in Genesis is a similar, if not kind of an equivalent to your kingdom come. And it's both the rule and the reign of God. Kingdom dominion is the word kingdom, essentially. So he said, I want to have kingdom here. I want you to do it. Now, could God have done it? The answer is yes. But God wanted man to do it. Are you with me? And so God, God works through man. Look at this. Um, Philippians 2.13. 2, I'll give you a New Testament. For it's God who works in you. So who's God working in? Working in you. What's he working to do? To will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. God is working through you to get his purpose. Could he do it without you? By power, but not by principle. Are you with me? So, so God is wanting to, to work through us, right? God gives power. Jesus gave, a, gave them authority. And some people say, well, that was the 12. Well, that's Luke 9. Go to Luke 10. He calls 70 more and gives them the same authority he gave to the 12. And if you read the context, they were baby Christians. Right, He gave them authority and then he gave us power. Acts 1 8. I, you, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Why do we need power? So you can go do my will. Yes. Yes. 
and Jerusalem's very, right? So, so, so he gives us power to, ex- God can do exceedingly abundantly above all you can ask, think, or imagine according to the power that works in who? In you, Ephesians 3.20, right? And, and so he gives us power because God works through our lives and prayer Prayer is, is how God works through our lives. I think sometimes people don't pray because we, we think of the sovereignty of God. And we say, if God is sovereign, then that means God's in control and can and will do whatever God can and will do. And it's interesting that when given Satan access to a word like sovereignty, he will convince Christians to not pray because God is sovereign when sovereignty is the reason why you pray. Because his sovereignty does not mean that he controls everything. You want proof of it? All right. He works all things together for good. Don't we love this verse when we're in, I like it, put on Instagram every time I have a problem. Works all things together for good for those who love him are called according to his purpose. What does it imply that he has to work something for good? It means something went bad. And it means something went bad that he wanted to go good. So when it went bad, he started working it towards good, which implies he doesn't control everything because if he controlled everything, there would only be good. But there's another father, right? There's sin and death in the world and things work towards bad. So a good father, when he sees bad, starts working it for good. He's not in control, but he is sovereign. Sov, sov, you break sovereign apart. Sov means supreme. Reign means ruler or authority. In other words, God is the highest ruler, but that doesn't mean every, he's like, I'm not willing that any should perish, but people perish. No, he is working. He has the power. That's what this means. He has the power. There is no one with more power. He has the power to bring about his purpose, but he does that in partnership with his people, with his sons and daughters. Sovereignty is why we pray, because we are praying to the highest there is, the most powerful there is, the strongest, I'm going to keep going till you get excited, the strongest that there is, the greatest, there is none above him, there was none before him, there will be none after him. That's why we pray, because he's the one we can walk into his living room and say, Pops, I need some help. Think about this. God works through man. Why did Jesus have to become a man? Because God needed to work through a man to bring his kingdom on the earth. Look at this, John 6, 38. For I have come down from heaven. This is Jesus, words in red, very important. I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Right? 2 Corinthians 5, 19. It was God who was in Christ. God who was working in man to reconcile us to him. What was his will? To reconcile us to him. How did he do that? He sent the man, Jesus Christ. Are you getting in? There are things that God cannot do unless you pray. Let me me, me show you this. Think about this. If if God could do it, then when they said, um, Jesus teaches to pray, he would have said, you know, it's not that important. I mean, God's going to kind of do what he wants to do. You don't have to worry about it. 
right? Why in the world would he teach him to pray if it wasn't important? Why in the world are there so many references to Jesus throughout the gospels withdrawing to pray? If the Christ, the Messiah, went on the earth as a man, thought he needed to pray with great frequency, it must have some significance. Are, are you with me? And they said, Jesus teaches to pray. And he said, you know, here's the thing, guys. It's kind of just for me. Uh, God's going to kind of do what he's going to do. Prayer's not. No, think about this. If God's will is going to happen without us praying, why is the first thing Jesus told us to pray was for the will of God to come on the earth? Have you thought about that? Jesus, what, was, what should we pray? Pray for God's will to come through your life into the earth. The first thing. That implies that his will is not going to come into the earth if we don't pray. Amen. There are things that don't happen unless we pray. Think about this. Five, um, five Amorite kings are coming against uh, Gibeon, who is in covenant with Israel. Right? This is the days of Joshua. And, and, and Joshua prays, and God says, not one of them will be left standing. And so they engage in a battle, and they're fighting, and even God's throwing hailstones from heaven, smacking them on the earth. I mean, things are going well, but the sun's about to set, and there are still stones standing. What was the word in the will of God? Not one will be left standing. But what happens if it gets dark? Somebody's going to get away. And Joshua prayed, God, let the sun stand still over Gibeon. And the solar system stopped until they had destroyed all of them. Are you with me? Peter's in prison. Herod's throwing him in there because it kind of stirred people up and they got excited. He's in prison. They're going to kill him. And it says, and Peter was in prison, Acts 12. But the church was praying. Like this is why we gather for a prayer meeting because there's a different power in a prayer meeting than when you pray by yourself. The church was having a prayer meeting and God sent an angel and let Peter out of the prison. Peter, Piper picked back to Peter. It's Peter out of the prison, right? And you think about think about this. Hezekiah in, in, in Isaiah 37, it's also in 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles, but the, he's the king of Judah and Assyria is coming to attack him. And they're, they're like telling him, you don't have a chance. And they're trying to scare all the people. And, and look at what God says. Isaiah comes to him and says, this is what the Lord God of Israel said, because you prayed. And you know what he does? He sends, 180, he, he sends angels to kill 185,000 soldiers. And the rest of them are like, we're out of here. Which I think is wisdom. <laughs> Do you see? But it says, because, you know what that implies? They wouldn't have won. If King Hezekiah didn't pray, I wonder what area of your life God wants you to win that you're not winning because you're not praying. Are you with me? What is it that God wants to do in your life and through your life? And how is it that God wants you to win? But he is waiting on you to pray. And I thought, as a church, what is it you want to do that we're not doing because you're waiting on us to pray? What is it that is your will that we're not seeing because you're waiting on us to pray? And you're saying, if they would just pray, I can send angels and I'll kill 185,000 of their enemy, but I need them to pray and I can't move until they pray. Would you please pray so I can show you how strong I am and how good I am that I'm a good father that takes care of his kids 
Jesus said, I give you the keys to the kingdom. Now check this, Matthew 16, I give you the keys to the kingdom so that, and I'm gonna give you the right translation because a lot of Bibles don't translate exactly right. He said, I'm gonna give you the keys to the kingdom so that whatever is bound in heaven, can, you can bind on earth. And whatever is loosed in heaven, you can loose on earth. Okay. What is bound in heaven? Anything that's not God's will. What is loosed in heaven? Everything that is God's will. And he said, I'm gonna give you the keys so that anything that's not my will, you can bind. And when you need my will, which is good, you can loose. When Solomon built the temple, yeah. Solomon built the temple and God shows up and he says this, he says, if my people, notice the word if, second, y'all can put this up there, second Chronicles 714. It's the dedication of the temple that Solomon built. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, meaning if, if you don't pray, there's a pride problem. Humility always leads to prayer. Pride leads to not. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, if, if, if my people, if my people, if my people, if my people, and turn from their wicked ways, then what? I'll hear from heaven and I'll forgive their sin and I'll hear their land. And my eyes will be opened and my ears attentive to the prayers made in this place. If my people, and here's what I'm saying. God wants to take our church to a different level. And the only way there is a different level of prayer. And we can stay where we're at if we want to pray where we're at. But if we'll take our prayer to a new level, He's going to take us to a new level. That's the Word of God. That's what God's saying. In your family, in your business, listen, God will give you business strategies you couldn't even think of. But you got to take prayer to a new level. Listen, you always, prayer has to go. And, and this is what I feel is so strong. That's why I just keep saying it over and over and over and over and over again. God wants to do more than we can ask or think. He wants to do more than we've imagined but he won't do it till we pray. And that's why I'm saying, will you, will you join me? You don't have to fast, but, it, but for the rest of the year, or at least three more weeks, will you pray just like you've been praying during the fast? And if you're like, I didn't know we're fasting, I really had prayed, then start, whatever that is, set a time, make an appointment, go back and listen to the messages. I talk about all that, hearing from God, all this, all this, but go back and listen. To and here's what I'm saying, Pathway, can we take prayer to a new level? In our church, can we take prayer? Jesus said, we said he said, this is how I want my house to be known. Not, not by worship and not by preaching. My house should be called a house of prayer for all nations. I want, I want, what, what's the, what's the icon? What's, how do we identify the house of God? Prayer. And I'm asking you, will you pray with me? Like never before. We, listen, this building, God spoke to me and, and it's from Zechariah, but uh, I didn't realize it was in connection with the building of temple, I know the famous scripture from Zechariah, you know, it's not by might, not by power, not by spirit, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And I didn't realize God's talking about building the temple, which was an impossible feat at the time. And he says, not by might, and it's not by power, it's by my spirit. And what I realized, if we'll pray, the spirit will build the temple. If we'll pray, the spirit will build the temple. I know it went long, but it's worth it. And so why don't you stand and you can give God praise for his word.